Nothing to do with the message today. Unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. But before I launch into that, let's, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us out of the busyness of our own lives to be with you for just a little while. Lord, would you calm our hearts and our spirits? Lord, I don't know what is going on in every person's life here, but I know from experience that in a congregation this size, there are people who are hurting as Mindy already prayed. Lord, would you minister to them today? But Lord, today I'm talking about unity. Unity in your church. And I want this to go further than just the walls of Brown Corners Church. Because we are your people, O oh God. You have called us to be your people. And you have called us to be united in you. Forgive us, God, for where we have so often failed by thinking that we are better than somebody else or not as good. Lord, would you touch our hearts today with the power of your love and your spirit? that we might be your people and live in ways that are attractive to those around us who might want to know about the Jesus we love and serve. In his name we ask it. Amen. Unity is something that we talk about often. But generally speaking, we don't do anything about it. For the most part, we prefer to stick with those who are most like us. Because we're uncomfortable with the risk that's associated with being with people who are different. Unfortunately, we think of unity as referring to things and people that are the same. For instance, if, if we think the same, we can be united. Or we can be united if we like the same things. The problem is, who thinks exactly like you do? Think about it a while. <laughs> Have you discovered anyone yet who likes everything you like? I doubt it. And if you take the time to look closely at Scripture and even creation itself, it is apparent that God, God places a high value on things being different and unique. If you don't believe me, take a look at the person next to you. 
that might be all the proof we need to know that God has a sense of humor too. There are similarities to be sure. In some ways, I am like every other human being. But there are some huge differences as well. In creation, we live in the woods. And so, I see the, the differences in trees. I mean, all trees have leaves. But oh, the variety of shapes and sizes within the family of trees and leaves. The same thing holds true for the Trinity. We recognize that the Trinity is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? They are alike in character and essence, and yet they are also very different from one another. As the title of the message implies, we are called as Christians to be united even though we are a very diverse people. If we define unity as coming from being the same, we're already in trouble. The unity spoken of in Scripture depends on something other than our being the same. And I believe there is a sadness in heaven There's a sadness in heaven because the church of Christ is not united. It is fractured and splintered all over the place. And you and I, in a sense, have contributed to that because we have failed to really understand just how important unity is to God. Unity is, after all, something that Jesus prayed about. So it must be important to God. And I find it difficult sometimes and, and sad that some churches and denominations refuse to have fellowship with Christians who have a different take on a particular church doctrine. On a personal level... I can tell you that I'm very thankful that in my career as a pastor, I've served six different denominations. <coughs> they wouldn't have me in just one. No, no. Six different denominations. And I can tell you from experience, they all have their strengths. But I can also tell you they each have a quirk or two. Do we have all the answers? No, we got some. In February of 1996, I was fortunate enough to attend the Promise Keepers Clergy Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. There were over 40,000 clergy from every denomination you can think of. We were there together to praise God as one unit. Oh, I tell you, the chills went up and down the back of my neck as we stood there and we sang praises to our God. 
And we were also there to try to start a process of reconciling and healing some of the rift between us as believers of a different denominational persuasion. One of our speakers was Max Lucado. He was to give the address on church unity. I wanted to show you some of that message, but it would take too long, and, and there are some things that I wanted to be able to say too, so you, you get the lesser of the two. But before I get, and, and you can read the message that he gave that day because it's found in his book, In the Grip of Grace. And I'll read from that in just a moment. But before I do, I think it's going to be helpful for us if we take a quick look at what Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17. And it says, verses 20 and 20 through 23, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Jesus is praying for you and me. Father, you are in me and I am in you. Oh, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and love them even as you have loved me. That's what Jesus prayed for. I want us to also take a look at Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writing, says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. There's a mouthful for you. Humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That puts it pretty clearly, doesn't it? We don't create unity as believers. God does that. We, however, are expected to do all that we can and all that is within our power to maintain or promote unity among believers within the kingdom of God. 
Unity is important to God. And it should be a priority for us as well. Now, if I can find my book. I'll tell Jeremiah, when I preach, I need a bigger platform. It's easier to hide, hide behind than to... Max Lucado, in the grip of grace, you can't fall beyond his love. Grace makes three proclamations. First, only God can forgive my godlessness. Only God can forgive sin, Mark 2.7. Dealing with my sin is God's responsibility. I repent, I confess, but only God can forgive, and he does. Second, only God can judge my neighbor. You cannot judge another person's servant. The master decides if the servant is doing well or not, Romans 14.4. Dealing with my neighbor is God's responsibility. I must speak, I must pray, but only God can convince And he does. Third, I must accept who God accepts. Who? Christ accepted you, so you should accept each other, which will bring glory to God. Romans 15, 7. God loves me and makes me his child. God loves my neighbor and makes him my brother. My privilege is to complete the triangle, to close the circuit by loving who God loves. Easier said than done. To live above with those we love, oh, how that will be glory. To live below with those we know, Now, that's another story. Best I can figure, the situation reads something like this. God has enlisted us in his navy and placed us on his ship. This boat has one purpose, to carry us safely to the other shore. This is no cruise ship. It's a battleship. We aren't called to a life of leisure, We are called to a life of service. Each of us has a different task. Some concerned with those who are drowning are snatching people from the water. Others are occupied with the enemy, so they man the canons of prayer and worship. Still others devote themselves to the crew, feeding and training the crew members. Though different, we are the same. Each can tell of a personal encounter with the captain, for each has received a personal call. He found us among the shanties of the seaport and invited us to follow him. Our faith was born at the sight of his fondness, and so we went. We each followed him across the gangplank of his grace onto the same boat. There is one captain... And there is one destination. Though the battle is fierce, the boat is safe. For our captain is God. The ship will not sink. 
and for that there is no concern. There is concern, however, regarding the disharmony of the crew. When we first boarded, we assumed the crew was made up of others like us. But as we've wandered these decks, we've encountered curious converts with curious appearances. Some wear uniforms we've never seen, sporting styles we've never witnessed. Why do you look the way you do? We ask them. Funny, they reply. We were about to ask you the same thing. The variety of dress is not nearly as disturbing as the plethora of opinions. There is a group, for example, who clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions. Serving the captain is serious business, they explain. It's no coincidence that they tend to congregate around the stern. Any Navy people here? There is another regiment deeply devoted to prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, they believe in prayer by kneeling. And for that reason, you always know where to locate them. They are at the bow of the ship. And then there are a few who staunchly believe red wine should be used in the Lord's Supper. And you will find them on the port side. (laughs) Still another group has positioned themselves near the engine. They spend hours examining the nuts and bolts of the boat. They've been known to go below deck and not come up for days. They are occasionally criticized by those who linger on the top deck, feeling the wind in their hair and the sun on their face. It's not what you learn, those topside argue. It's what you feel that matters. And oh, how we tend to cluster. Some think once you're on the boat, you can't get off. Others say you'd be foolish to go overboard, but it's your choice. Some believe you volunteer for service. Others believe believe you were destined for service before the ship was ever built. Some predict a storm of great tribulation will strike before dock. Others say it won't hit until we are safely ashore. There are those who speak to the captain in a personal language. And there are those who think such languages are a sink. There are those who think the officers should wear robes. There are those who think there should be no officers at all. And there are those who think we are all officers and we should all wear robes. Oh, how we tend to cluster. And then there is the the issue of the weekly meeting at which the captain is thanked and his words are read. All agree on its importance but few agree on its nature. Some want it loud, others quiet. Some want ritual, some spontaneity. Some want to celebrate so they can meditate. Others meditate so they can celebrate. Some want a meeting for those who've gone overboard. 
Others want to reach those overboard, but without going overboard and neglecting those on board. And oh, how we tend to cluster. The consequence is a rocky boat. There is trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors have refused to speak to each other. There have even been times when one group refused to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically, some adrift at sea have chosen not to board the boat because of the quarreling of the sailors. What do we do? We'd like to ask the captain. How can there be harmony on the ship? We don't have to go far to find the answer. On the last night of his life, Jesus prayed a prayer that stands as a citadel for all Christians. I pray for these followers, but I am also praying for all those who will believe in me because of their teaching. Father, I pray that they may be one as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they can also be one in us, that the world will believe that you sent me. How precious are these words. Jesus, knowing the end is near, prays one final time for his followers. Striking, isn't it? That he prayed not for their success, their safety, or their happiness. He prayed for their unity. He prayed that they would get along with each other. And as he prayed for them, he also prayed for those who will believe because of their teachings. And that means us. In his last prayer, Jesus prayed that you and I will be one. Of all the lessons we can draw from this verse, don't miss the most important. Unity matters matters to God. The father does not want his kids to be squabbling. Disunity disrupts him and it disturbs him. Why? Because all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. Unity creates belief. How will the world believe that Jesus was sent by God? Not if we agree with each other all the time. Not if we solve every controversy. Not if we are unanimous on every vote. Not if we never make a doctrinal error. But if we love one another. Unity creates, disunity creates unbelief. Who wants to board a ship of bickering sailors? Life on the ocean may be rough, they say, but at least the waves don't call us names. Paul Bilheimer may very well be right when he says the continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity probably has caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined. All people will know that you are my followers. If you love each other, stop and think about this verse for a moment. Could it be that unity is the key to reaching the world for Christ? 
if unity is the key to evangelism, shouldn't we, shouldn't it have a precedent, precedence in our prayers? Shouldn't we, as Paul said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? If unity matters to God, then shouldn't it matter to us? If unity is a priority in heaven, then shouldn't it be a priority on earth? Nowhere, by the way, are we told to build unity. We are told simply to keep unity. From God's perspective, there is but one flock and one shepherd. Unity does not need to be created. It simply needs to be protected. How do we do that? How do we make every effort to keep the unity? Does that mean we compromise our convictions? No. Does that mean we abandon the truths we cherish? No. But it does mean we look long and hard at the attitudes that we carry within us. How is it possible for us to be united when we are so, so different? If Jesus prayed for our unity, it's got to be possible. He expects us to get along with one another. And when we don't, we are guilty of sinning against the precious request of our Lord and Savior as found in this prayer. We also need to recognize that disunity makes it difficult for unbelievers to really hear and respond to the gospel message of Christ. Many years ago on the mission field, some of the missionaries from different missionary associations found that the natives kept asking a question, well, whose God should we believe? This group or that group or the other group? Or... And so they got together and they decided we need a better strategy. So we will let you Baptists have Burma. I don't know all the other ones, but Christian Missionary Alliance and some of the other associations went to different areas so that they weren't confusing the natives. But disunity hinders evangelism. Our lack of unity makes it difficult for any of us to fulfill the great commission that Christ gave his church when he says, make disciples of all nations. Unity is created by God when he changes our identity and gives us a purpose in life that's bigger than we are. God changes our identity. Did you know that? He puts you in a different family. And that's why Paul tells us to work at maintaining unity in Christ through the power and presence of his Holy Spirit. The attitudes that we carry within us about one another really is critical. And those attitudes are critical building blocks for maintaining unity because attitudes make the difference. We may need to spend a moment or two on what some of those attitudes might be. First of all, let's acknowledge that if I, if I have accepted Jesus into my heart and life as my personal Savior and Lord, and a neighbor has done the same either down the street or across the world, 
by definition, they are my brothers and sisters. They too are members of the family of God and within his kingdom. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. In order to maintain unity within the body of Christ, we will need to be humble enough to realize that we don't have all the answers and that we have been called by God to accept, to accept one another, even if we have points upon which we disagree. We are to accept each other. While serving in the Air Force in England, I was part of an airman's Bible group at one time, there were 23 of us, and a number of us were, were new believers. Of the 23, there were only two that came from the same denominational background. We found that as long as we kept our focus on what the Bible had to say for itself, we had a wonderful time with each other. The few times that we got off track and experienced tension within the group, was when the two were trying to convince the rest of us of some doctrinal issue that was important to their denomination. The point here is simple. In order to maintain unity, we need to focus on what brings us together, not on the things that tend to divide. The beginning of unity comes as we remember who we are. And whose we are. Who we are is the children of God. Everyone who names the name of Jesus is a child of God. And the scripture says we belong to him. He is our Abba. He is God. We belong to him. Let's work a little bit harder at accepting those whom God has accepted as his own. The attitudes we carry will need to be those of humility and gentleness, as Paul says, patience and a willingness to put up with one another. You mean I got to put up with you? Yeah. And it's and Paul makes it even clearer. He says we put up with one another through the love God has placed within us through his holy spirit. As usual, the love being spoken of here is agape love. Our English language short changes us because we only have one word for love. And it covers the waterfront. The Greeks had four. But the highest form of love was agape. Agape love is when we decide to do what is right and honorable and proper and good by the other person. I will have a compassionate concern for your well-being and make the right decisions for the right reasons with God's help and grace. This kind of love is not dependent upon how I feel about you. And it certainly isn't dependent upon whether we agree with one another on all points or not. 
We are to love one another as Jesus has loved us in John 13, 34, and 35. It's very interesting. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. This is not a suggestion. This is his commandment. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. If you have agape for one another. If you do the right thing for the right reasons and are good and proper and honorable by one another. Oh, what a difference that will make. And the tough part of this message is now upon us. When we decide to cast doubt on a brother or shun a sister in the Lord, we are creating disunity within the body of Christ. What may be worse is that we have also created a hindrance for the ongoing mission of Jesus and his church. Unity. Unity is maintained when we recognize our common identity as members of the family of God. Unity is maintained when we realize we are all called into a mission that is bigger than we are. And it will take all of us to make disciples of all nations. Unity is maintained when we rely upon the agape love God has placed within our hearts by his Holy Spirit to live righteously with one another. Let's listen to Jesus' words once again. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and that you love them even as you loved me. Lord, help us to be your people, to honor you, to advance your kingdom within the hearts and lives of people everywhere. My friends, there are so many people out there who need Jesus. They need somebody to love them to Jesus. Do the right thing for the right reasons. We need to be called up short when our attitudes get in the way of what you are trying to do in our world, God. So help us to realize you want to work with us on this. You want to work through us to reach people. Somebody has said, well, God could do it all by himself. And in some ways, maybe he could, and he probably would do a better job of it. But that's not how God has chosen to do things. God has said, I want you 
as my partner in all of this. And I could do it without you, but I choose not to. You are an important piece in God's puzzle. We need to be forgiven where we have failed, where we have failed God and where we have failed one another. Let us pray. Father, would you burn these words into our consciousness so that we will, through humility, patience, understanding, goodwill, and agape love, accept as a brother or sister those you have accepted through your Son, our Savior and Lord. Forgive us for our haughty attitudes where we have excluded others from our fellowship. We don't have to agree with one another all the time, but according to your word, we do need to love one another all the time. Oh, Father, we will need your help there. We want the world to know that you sent Jesus, your son, to show us the way home to you. Grant us compassion for one another as your children. And that includes those in other denominations and places we don't agree with. Give us your grace, O oh God, to make a difference. In Jesus' name.